Why History Moment. Nick is here. Why History Moment. Yes, welcome. It is the White History Moment. This is moment. Nurit, my producer, better known to Anchor Baby. Good morning. And an expert. Good morning. And it's f- I, I'm glad Tony called in talking about who built America, right? Because yeah. I had the same, very same question because I always hear America was built on the backs of slaves, right? I hear that a lot. Yeah. I knew it was a lie, but I need to. I always known that was a yeah. lie. Where, where did he get that from? Uh-huh. And it's not uncommon to hear backs of, uh, backs of slaves, natives, even Mexicans now. <laughs> And I had to find out for myself exactly the truth. And Tony just tried to say the Chinese. Mm-hmm. So I did a little digging. I had to find out for myself what the truth was. It turns out, a couple of interesting things I uncovered. Turns out the way historians viewed slavery and the, econ- the economic impact of slavery in America completely flipped. In fact, before, in, in fact, historians used to think of slavery as a source of poverty, in fact, because go back to the 1950s in the South, states like Alabama, Mississippi, they had incomes to the so low that you could compare them to like third world countries, right? Right. And you're left wondering, wait a second, where did all that wealth that slavery built go, right? Why is why is 1950s <laughs> South suffering with such low incomes, right? Well, academics and historians at the time they commonly would say this is a common thing said that large that all that money put into slavery into an inefficient system like slavery prevented the south from industrializing and and actually held them back in fact some some historians like ub phillips dh potter they suggest that slavery was in fact about to collapse 1860 slavery was at the brink of collapse and that the civil war was actually an unnecessary bloodbath Amazing. Yeah, that it would have just cost us own. But Denise Sousa said, uh, compare uh, slavery to socialism. Mm-hmm. And he said that the South were poor and the North was industrialized. Really? Yeah. I'm not, I Dinesh didn't know that about Dinesh, but yeah. it fits with, with what I've on, what I've, uh, my research. Very interesting. So that's, that's how historians used to view it, right? Somewhere along the way, it switched, right? But... For, I want to speak on the generational wealth of slaves, right? It's like, where did all this wealth go, right? Because if you go back to 1787, right, this is the Continental Congress. They're, they're all in the Continental Congress deliberating about how is America going to be governed. We are just about to build this new country. At the time, there was about half a million slaves, right, in what was soon to be United States. And a third of these slaves worked rice and indigo fields. So a third of these workers were were working industries that were that are gone today. Rice and indigo were ma- marginal enterprises at best that disappeared. You know, so all that wealth for so a third of slaves, all the wealth they built, that's gone. Forty percent of these produce tobacco. Now tobacco is a a viable export product, right? But it was widely recorded at the time. Even George even George Washington testified about this that this after the slaveholder of these tobacco fields paid to support their workers, their own costs, the cost, uh, the cost of health and food, everything that the cost advantage of slave labor wasn't viable. In fact, George Washington said that it took a particular personality type to make, and not a very nice one to get value out of slaves. 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like to be to be able to get value out of their slaves, you had to be quite a mean slave owner, right? And uh, and so I'm doing this research about that, and it brought me to um, to uh, to William Ellison. William Ellison was South Carolina's largest Negro slave owner. He was a black man himself. Ooh, and he a black <laughs> slave owner in America. Yeah, and, no. Well, just to put that into that's pers- unheard of. <laughs> to put that into perspective, in 1860, a small minority of whites owned slaves. If you put it all together, about one to 1.3 percent of all whites owned slaves at the time. So, oh, they're all slave owners. I right? know that's not true, but. Duke University records that 28% of free black people in just one city, New Orleans, own slaves. Very disproportionate. And in fact, very successful too. William Ellison was so successful that he actually put a lot of his white competitors out of business. So I'm thinking, wow. Because I heard James (laughs) once say that black slave owners were meaner to their slaves than the whites were. (laughs) And I'm like, if I think about what George Washington said, that you had to be quite a mean slave owner to be successful, (laughs) I think it fits. (laughs) <laughs> so i mean <laughs> so it brings us to cotton because everybody says okay so well then what where did all the wealth come from cotton right comes we, we come to cotton the world wanted cotton the cotton gin was invented started growing mad cotton all over the united states and it became a very viable cash crop right so people this is the part where people are probably thinking oh so that's where all the wealth is huh that's how america was built by slaves they 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 grew the cotton no that's just not true. And so this is where the whole narrative flipped. I, I came across this guy named Edward Baptist. He's the author of The Half That's Never Been Told, right? And he is a historian, right? And he writes about slavery and the horrific evils of slavery. And just to give you an idea of what kind of person Edward Baptist is, he was reading a biography of this, of this um, former slave named uh, I, Ivy, uh, Lorenzo Ivy. Lorenzo Ivey went to school with Booker T. Washington. And so, and he was there at the end of the Civil War and everything, right? Amazing. Lorenzo Ivey talks about, he, he went through some hard times in slavery, and he talks about some atrocities that he suffered, right? But when Edward Baptist was reading the story of this Lorenzo Ivey guy, he, was, he, he, di- he didn't get the like horrible story he wanted. You know what I'm saying? Because the guy came out of slavery and made something of himself, right? But he wanted this, he wanted this story he wanted Lorenzo Ivey's story to be horrible so that he could show the people, see how bad slavery was? And in fact, he says, he, he in fact says about Lorenzo Ivey's story, when I read Lorenzo Ivey's words, it left me uneasy. I sensed that the true narrative had been left out of history. You're reading his words. <laughs> so I set, out, I set out to prove that enslaved African Americans built the modern United States and indeed the entire modern world in ways both obvious and hidden. Edward Baptist's books are in our schools. So this liberal guy is like, no, I'm going to ignore this former slave and, and I'm going to set out to prove that slaves built America. And that's what's being taught in schools, right? Amazing. And, and to put to rest the whole, well, America's built was built, a wealth was built by cotton. That's, that's just not true because in 1900s, the cotton crop was actually three times it was in 1860. Yet... Like we were just speaking about earlier, 1950s Alabama had less than half the per capita income of New York, right? Former slaves who were now sharecroppers were suffering, and they endured great poverty poverty alongside their white farmers. So where did all that wealth go? Not to mention that, you know, the Civil War pretty much wiped it clean. 
the the losses incurred from the Civil War, any wealth that was built before the Civil War was wiped clean. And uh, amazing. It's just that's just the rewriting lie. of history. And so I was just like doing this research, and I came, I guess, just to end it on this to make the point about the Civil War, how it wiped it clean. Yeah. But also that all world economies, all across the world, it's a documented fact. All world economies benefited from white colonialism, right? Back in the 1500s, the British Empire, them colonializing just made places better. Amazing. And finally, to just leave it at this, I came across this letter from Robert E. Lee, the Confederate, to uh, his wife. He said he called slavery a moral and political evil. But yet he concluded that black slaves were immeasurably, immeasurably better off here than in Africa, morally, socially, and physically. I rest my case. So you should be grateful. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. White history moment. What? History. It's white history moment. Nice. Thank you, Nick. Yeah. I, just had, I had to lay it to rest. I had to put it away. I wonder what Tony from California <laughs> think about that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, and all those other blacks that be called with that mess. Mm-hmm. False history. Right on. Another myth, too, is that the blacks created the stoplight. Oh, that's a, that's a myth. That's a myth. Black, Black boy, in- y'all ain't creating no stoplight. Blackinventionmyths.com. The stoplight is on there. It's <laughs> a myth. And the stoplight was created by a white man in Europe in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. And Chris, you said maybe you think that the black people thought about putting a yellow light between the green and the red. I thought that's what start, started the myth that they created the traffic light, that I think a, a black person was involved in the implementation of the yellow light. I, I could be incorrect. I thought that's what I read, though. I think you might be right about that. That a black person either suggested to add the yellow mm-hmm. light or they did some research on it or something like that. And so they're like, aha, the black man invented the stoplight. <laughs> and so yeah. can't you hear the black now? Master, I, I love the light that you created. <laughs> well, I was thinking, why don't you put it so that we'll slow down? Right. <laughs> Wouldn't it be even better if... <laughs> Would you add a little yellow light in there, sir? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're right about that. I've heard that. Amazing. Yeah. Yep. Rewriting of history. Yeah. You know what? I just remember something. Just to put it to rest, for those that really just can't put it away, the, at the height of cotton production, it yeah. was just the 1% of the whole GDP of the country. That's not an empire. You don't build an empire. Like that. But anyways. Nick. I noticed when you speak, you say a lot of right. So the road right. down the road, right? And they shot the head. I off, know. Right? I noticed that too. Should I take it? I'm right. Am I supposed to be saying right every time you say right? No. Oh, I'm supposed to look at you. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Why do you say right so much? I don't know. I've someone brought it up, and I noticed that too. But I do say right, right, right. Are you an intellectual? I don't know. <laughs> you went to school? Not. No, I don't think I'm an intellectual for saying right. It's just a habit of speaking. Oh, you're a millennial. Right. <laughs> Thank you, Aka, baby. No problem. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Why history moment. Thank you, white folks. Amazing. And don't forget to like, follow, tweet, subscribe, and share the Jesse Lee Peterson radio show, folks. We really appreciate it. We are at war. 
It is a spiritual battle for the soul of America. And it's going to take all of us to do it.